0: Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church where from beginning to end it is just Jesus nothing more and nothing less all right good morning how you guys doing this morning? everybody has survived the pollnocopips It's sad because if you're from Wilmington you know that there's a very good possibility that Next week, it's going to freeze, and we get just all those beautiful azaleas will turn brown, and uh, (laughs) it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning, and uh, to have the privilege of getting to share the Word of God with you. Um, My name is Daniel Walters. Uh, I am married to Hannah Walters. Uh, Hannah's sitting there on the front row, and I told her I would not draw attention to her or signal, signal her out in any way. And I'm gonna I'm gonna keep to my word. I'm not gonna point her out, um, but uh, she is serving right now as our interim children's director, uh, as Adrian Beatty is on maternity leave, and um, and uh, we're excited to be here and be a part of what God's doing at Saltbox. Um, we are entering into a new season, um, and Hannah and I, we I've been in ministry for I'm going into my 19th year in ministry. And I'm excited to be going into the next chapter in ministry in my life here at Saltbox Church. I believe that God is doing something beautiful and unique here, um, and it's weird, and it's wonderful, uh, and God is moving in a special way. And so it's exciting for us to be a part of what God's doing here. Um, And uh, we've we've been in ministry for a lot of years. And uh, we've seen a lot of the trends, and we've been a part of some, some special moves of God. And, and we see God pouring out his spirit, and, and we, can, we can look back over the last 20 or 30 years and see in times where, where people come before God, and God pours out his spirit, and it just radically has an impact on our culture. And, um, you know, we've seen that in years past. Um, We've talked about a little bit, um, you might have heard of the Jesus movement that took place uh, and different revivals that we've seen explode in America and around the world. And uh, my wife and I, we've gotten to be a part of a lot of different things and seen a lot of different things in ministry. Uh, I remember a time where drums were not allowed in church, and, and drums were strictly forbidden and you weren't allowed to have instruments. And, uh, and then contemporary Christian music came out uh, and then you have these people who are singing songs and they have long hair and they didn't look saved <laughs> and they didn't smell saved. <laughs> Yet, God moved through that and his spirit Uh, grew throughout the United States and around the world using some ordinary weird looking people to accomplish his glory. So I'm confident that God is gonna use this weird uh, weird looking guy standing in front of you this morning (laughs) to preach to accomplish his glory. Some of you are thinking like this is a weird looking guy. Kind of looks like a mix between Zach Galifianakis and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, If they were both shorter than they are in real life. Uh, it's kind of like a biker hobbit thing. I don't know. It's kind of a, a weird deal. So if God can use hippies, he can use me. Amen? Uh, but there is a beautiful thing that's happening in the body of Christ all around the world right now. God is moving in a special way. I could think back, and even in this year, some of the beginnings of that seem to be on uh, start on January the 2nd. On January the 2nd, on ESPN, there was a football player named Damar Hamlin who collapsed while suffering a cardiac arrest during a football game. And this is a big football game. This was like the chief in the bills. Everybody was watching this game. It was a huge game. A player collapsed on the field. And everyone was shocked. The crowd in the stands and millions of viewers at home were shocked. They stopped the game. Everyone stopped. Matter of fact, I don't think they finished playing the game, did they? And then they never never played a follow-up game. They just ended like that doesn't happen normally, does it? If a player goes down, they cart them off and they keep playing. There's money to be made. There's ad revenue. We don't stop the machine. But when he collapsed, everything stopped. And just as shockingly to some, an ESPN analyst named Dan Orlovsky stopped in the middle of the ESPN broadcast to pray over the downed football star. Some of you guys might remember that he did that on air and prayed over Damar Hamlin. This was a pretty controversial move, as you might imagine. <laughs> this was I mean, there was there was one guy I think he was a a Colorado University professor and he said, what is this, a 700 Club or ESPN? But he stopped in the middle of the broadcast and he prayed. Now, we all have heard and and hear a lot of chatter and feedback uh, about thoughts and prayers, right? When something awful happens in our country It seems like one group of people is like, man, thoughts and prayers go out to so-and-so. Some people who are not as committed in their faith or don't believe in prayer, they say things like positive vibes going out to the families of, insert national tragedy here. And there's a lot of people who get frustrated by that and say, man, thoughts and prayers don't really work. Thoughts and prayers are the least, that that's what people do who are apathetic. They sit down on their back and watch. they keep flipping and just give out thoughts and prayers. However, these well-intentioned thoughts and prayers shifted the focus of our culture as an international movement of prayer began to ask God to heal Damar Hamlin. People all over the world were praying for this football player. And here's what happened. Something strange began to happen. As Hamlin began to heal, it began to encourage and strengthen the faith of the people who were praying. As the good reports began to surface and began to come out, people began to have faith that God was answering their prayers. A new survey came out that affirmed that 67% of Americans now believe that public calls for prayer after a national tragedy are effective. There was a little, small cultural shift. And people began to believe ever so slightly in the power of prayer. A small, like a grain of faith began to grow. On February the 8th, There was a chapel service at Asbury University. It's a very small college, very small little place. But this chapel service turned into a 24-7 prayer and worship service that lasted for two weeks. At the end of the service, the students wouldn't go home. They wanted to stay and seek God and pray. And they felt and experienced what they would describe as the presence of God. Some word went out, and they said, hey, if we're, we're still praying. Chapel's still going on. If you guys want to come and pray with us, you can. And the chapel began to fill up with students, and they still wouldn't go home. They kept worshiping on through the night, and this lasted for more than two weeks. It brought up to 70,000 visitors to this small town, and people called it Revival even referring to it as the Asbury University awakening. Thousands of people when they say that there were miracles that took place there. They were just seeking God, crying out to God, praising, praying, praying over each other, praying over their school, praying over this generation, worshiping, seeking God's face. It spread to nearby Lee University and other campuses all over the world. And soon reports began to come in of revival happening in a local middle school in Tennessee. In their first meeting, 30 students began a relationship with Jesus and gave their heart to the Lord. 30 students in a middle school. God was doing something and seemed to be doing something in the lives of these young people. College, high school, middle school Students who begin to turn their attention and their affections towards Jesus, crying out for healing, repenting, and in prayer. God was moving. On February 24th, there was a new film that came out called Jesus Revolution, and it came out in theaters nationwide, and it wasn't really expected to do much Uh, But it was third in the box office that weekend and raked in $15 million in the first weekend of its showing. And it was actually about, we just referenced a second ago, the Jesus movement that took place. And it's the story of how that movement began. And that's an interesting movie. And we could talk all about the story. We're not really going to get into that right now. And I'm not endorsing the movie because I haven't seen it yet. Don't judge me. Don't don't judge me. (laughs) Y'all the same people that would get mad at me if I said I hadn't seen Fireproof. I have seen it. I said, if I said I hadn't seen it. I've seen it. Trust me. I wouldn't lie up here. I've seen Fireproof. (laughs) But posts, here's what's interesting. Posts began appearing all over social media of people refusing to leave the theaters when the movie was over people were praying for each other they began to cry they were repentant they were repenting before god after watching a movie in a public theater feet sticking to the floor and everything didn't want to go home seeking god Now, these stories are exciting, but they're also controversial. They're controversial in the Christian denominations. And we've begun debating about the validity of revival. That's what people are calling it, a revival. There's a national dialogue going on about revival, what it means. And if what is happening now is genuinely a revival or not, and some people are bringing up passages of scripture, like Acts chapter two, uh, verse sixteen through eighteen. Some of you guys might be familiar with that passage of scripture, and they're wondering if what's going on now is in some way a fulfillment of that passage of scripture that we see in Acts. And if you look in Acts chapter two, verse sixteen, Peter answers that he says, "No, <laughs> comma. I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a revival." But Peter said, no. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Verse 18, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And some are saying, is that what's happening now? Is this the end times? Peter preached this message after Pentecost. And that was like the beginning of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself and showing his presence here on earth. And maybe he thought that he was living in the end times. But maybe now is the end times. And now is the time where God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And we're going to see people come to Christ. We're going to see our sons and daughters prophesy. Notice that it says sons and daughters. I have two sons and a daughter. And there's something beautiful and unique that's happening in the next generation behind us. I got to stop in uh, this past uh, Wednesday night at youth group, and I was there to pick up my son and, uh, because uh, it was late. And so I went inside, and, uh, and they were sharing some pictures of what happened in youth group and just talking about what God did. And I, I, I saw a photo of, of all of our teenagers were worshiping, and they're lifting their hands, and they're worshiping the Lord. Some of them, it was the first time ever doing something like that but they were just worshiping God they were seeking after the presence of Jesus they wanted to be with him and experience him now we can argue about the claims of is what is happening a revival some even believe that revival is not really that scriptural that you don't see a lot about revival in the bible itself and that god's presence is here with us and, and that what people are experiencing in revival is simply when we orient ourselves to look towards him, we can experience revival. Revival is always happening. It's just us that not, aren't paying any attention to it. That Christ is here. His presence is here and dwelling here. And we just have to awaken to it. But there's a debate raging If you look at what revival means, and even just a simple definition of the word revival, um, it's simply a renewed attention to or interest in something. A new presentation or publication of something old. Revival seems to be returning to or going back to something forgotten. A returning to or going back to something forgotten. But what does it mean? Is it a matter of timing and location? One of the things that happened at Asbury University is that as soon as the reports of revival started spreading, Christians from all over the United States started showing up to go there to where God was. I wonder about that. I think about that. I'm not trying to downplay what the Holy Spirit was doing there, but also I know that Christian influencers were standing in front of the building Aiming a camera at themselves. I'm here at ground zero of the Asbury Revolution revival. And I am here. Heart, heart, heart. Emoji, emoji, emoji. <laughs> kind of claiming a little piece of a move of God. So what causes the spirit of God to descend on a city? What causes the spirit of Jesus, the presence of Jesus to come to town we're going to look at a couple of uh, passages of scripture we're actually going to look at a lot of scriptures. y'all don't know realize that we're going to be here for the next three hours okay <laughs> There will be an intermission about halfway two for you guys to go get some cushions to sit on uh, or to make something out of paper towels and uh, you can come in and sit and uh, we'll give you a little break. Um, but we're going to get into it we're going to be sharing a story we're going to sharing a narrative that takes place in all four gospels but one of the things that's interesting is that some of um, some of the disciples who wrote the gospels they give different details and some of their accounts uh, they're not different or at odds with each other but they share it from a different perspective and so they remember different things about how these events took place uh, if you look at matthew mark and Luke, um, they remember it one way. And Matthew uh, is a little bit more of an abbreviated addition to it. Um, John kind of records this story as if it happened at the beginning of Christ's ministry. But the synaptic gospels, synoptic gospels, synaptic, it's in your brain. Um, we see in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they share the story as if it happened during Passion Week leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. And so uh, what we decided to do is take a look at all four of these Gospels. And so we're gonna look at this story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is get your Bible out this morning. And here's my Bible. This is an example of what a Bible is. Uh, And if you have a paper Bible this morning, we're gonna use what I call the bear claw technique Uh, because we're gonna be jumping around quite a bit. So what I need you to do is Uh, If you will turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter twenty-one, Matthew twenty-one, and you're going to put your index finger in Matthew twenty-one, just your index finger, okay. Uh, And with your middle finger, you're going to turn to Mark eleven. Um. With your ring finger, you're going to turn to Luke chapter 19. Am I going too fast? All right. We'll start back at the, at the pointer finger. Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Get your, get your hand in there like this. One finger. One finger in there like that. Okay. Next finger is going to be Mark chapter 11. So turn it a little bit. Get in there. Yes. Yes. Uh, Mark 11, and then Luke chapter 19, Next finger. all right, uh, and then the final, your pinky finger should be in John chapter 2, and so if you look, it's kind of like a bear claw, uh, people are going to walk in like, what are these people doing? This is a weird church, uh, thank you and amen, I'm going to put this right here. Uh, So we're going to jump back and forth and we're going to look at the story, which is often called the triumphal entry of Christ into the city of Jerusalem. And we're going to look at it from the perspective of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, so we're going to take a little bit from each of their stories and kind of line them up in what appears to be some type of chronological order. Again, uh, th- there is some study and a lot of study that can go into, um, like in like I said, John puts this at the beginning of the Gospels. So did Jesus do? Did this happen twice, or did it just happen once? And or was John kind of setting up the rest of the Gospels theologically to understand uh, who Christ? was and what Christ did um, so we can, we're going to look at that however for today and today's purposes we're going to just kind of cross reference this account and so we can kind of string together a linear order of how this could have take place, taken place so, so uh, pointer finger uh, go to Matthew chapter 21 verse 1 Matthew 21 1 says as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage On the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. So here's our setting. The setting is on a road. And the road goes from a small town called Bethany over this hill called the Mount of Olives. Down from the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, up towards the temple, which is located on that side, directional location of the city. And so Bethany is just a little bit over the Mount of Olives on the other side. And this little village called Bethphage uh, is kind of towards the top of what is considered to be the Mount of Olives. And so as they were passing on that road from Bethany, Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead of the group to go to Bethphage. Now, it probably wasn't called uh, Bethphage at that time. But the name was given to it later because of what happens next in the story. The name, uh, Beth Phage, actually means house of unripened figs. The house of unripened figs. Now, one of the pronunci- pronunciations is Bet Page. Um, if, if you're looking it up, Beth Page and Beth Phage are, are the same. They're kind of synonymous with, with the same area. Uh, but that village, I, it wasn't really a, such a popular uh, name, but it was kind of named after the events of, uh, of this story. So he sent two of his disciples ahead to this place, saying to them in verse two, "Go to the village ahead of you and once, and, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. Um, If anyone says the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a, fo- a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is one of those things where Matthew says that there were two creatures that were tied up. And other accounts say that it was a colt uh, or foal. And they don't necessarily say that there were two of them. But Matthew uh, remembers that there were two creatures tied tied up there. Um, and, uh, and so he sends them to go get them. And he says like, you're going to go and you're going to, I know that they're there. You're going to get there. And they're going to ask, what, what are you taking these? What are you taking my donkeys for? (laughs) What are you doing? Uh, and so, um, donkey and, and foal, uh, are there. And, and to me, like, I have a hard time reconciling exactly how this is going to work. How is Jesus going to ride two animals, two creatures? Jesus is going to ride. And in my immature mind, I have this image of Jesus like Chuck Norris doing a split with one leg on a donkey and the other one just riding in to Jerusalem doing a full split. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, I'm, I'm an idiot. I apologize uh, for having that thought. Um, however, um, this took place to fulfill a prophecy um, that that the do, that say to his daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here's there's a little significance to that, okay? The significance is uh, if you guys know, how many of you guys know what a mule is? A mule, right? A mule is a cross between what two animals? A donkey and a horse, right? We're from the south, we know what mule means, okay? between a donkey and a horse. Now you guys might know that a mule, uh, the the crossbreeding of a donkey and a horse is basically a large pack animal whose job it is to pull and carry a massive lot of weight. They're not incredibly bright. They're just a beast of burden. They are made to be big and carry heavy things. They're not, I mean, they're, they're not classy, um, and they're kind of looked down on. Um, and they can't reproduce. They don't have the ability to make little baby mules. So in any case, whether or not the foal was a mule or whether it not it was uh, actually a, the, the, the son of a donkey, they're, they're humble animals. And even in that time, a donkey was a symbol of Humility it is definitely not the type of creature or animal that you would choose to ride on in public, but especially not if you were intending to announce yourself as an earthly king. And so it was important that Jesus would ride into this this city On a donkey. Let's take a look at verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. In my mind, I don't know how this works. uh, So we're just gonna have to use our imaginations a little bit. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? You can imagine that probably was quite a spectacle coming down out of this area of Mount of Olives, heading into Jerusalem, coming down that mountainside with crowds of people waving palm branches and laying them out on the ground, shouting Hosanna. I'm sure that people down uh, below were looking up going, what in the world is going on? Who is this? Now, this is what's in- something interesting to me. In verse 11, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They referred to Jesus in this passage of scripture as a prophet. Something else that is interesting to me is their usage of the word Hosanna. Now, Hosanna, the way that they were saying it and the way that we say it or take it to mean, those are actually very different. Our word Hosanna is kind of this amalgamation of Greek uh, letters that were used to create the pronunciation of a Hebrew word. Phrase. So when we say Hosanna, it's basically this this collection of Greek letters that were made and put together uh, to fashion the the sound of the of a certain Hebrew phrase. And here's the Hebrew phrase. Um, The Hebrew phrase is Hosia na, Hosia na, meaning save, please. Hosia na, save, please. Another interpretation is pray, save us. Pray, save us. Some sources also reference this phrase as yasha, meaning deliver or save, plus "ana" or na, to beg or beseech. But, the resulting meaning is pretty similar. And this is a quote from an author named Don Wilson. And uh, here's what the meaning is. Please, I beg you to save us. In one sense, it was a desperate cry, much like a drowning person would yell out for rescue. But it was even more than that. It was an oppressed people's petition for freedom. They were shouting out, Hoshea, nah and saying, God, can you save us? Pray, save us. We know that you're from him. You can do things that no other man can do. We've seen you do and perform miracles. Talk to God for us and save us. They were begging for their freedom. They were being oppressed by the Romans. And they thought this could be the one, this could be the man who could save us from the oppression of the government. And they were saying, please, I beg you, I beseech you, save us. When was the last time you beseeched someone? Like when you go to Walmart to return that thing that you shouldn't have bought. And they're like, why are you returning this? And you're like, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. (laughs) This doesn't work. And I'm here to beseech you to take it back and give me my money. We don't beseech much, but that word is like to, to, to I, I'm, I'm appealing to the, you know, the greater sense of who you are. I'm trying to appeal to the good in you and I'm begging you. They were crying out a Hosanna to Jesus, begging for him to redeem and to save them. They were crying out from a place of desperation now let's look at Luke chapter 19 and we'll pick up the story there Luke chapter 19 verse 39 this is going to be your ring finger if you're still bear clawing it Luke chapter 9 verse 39 says this some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus teacher rebuke your disciples because they were saying this to Jesus and saying this about Jesus. And it was causing a stir and it was causing an uproar. And basically they were saying that, like Jesus was saying that he was a savior. So rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, this is from the words of Jesus. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet the stones will cry out. Verse 31, as 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. So I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go to Israel or go to Jerusalem, but if you're standing at the Mount of Olives, you can look down and you can see the Kidron Valley and you can see the entire city of Jerusalem. One of the first things that you can see is the temple and the Dome of the Rock, if you were there today, if I could transport us all right now, and we were standing in, standing on the Mount of Olives, we could see, and if we were going down that road, we could see the city of Jerusalem, and we could see the temple right there. And as Jesus is coming down that path, and he's looking ahead, and he sees the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. Verse 42, and said, listen to this, this is crazy. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. If you only knew what would truly bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You can't see it. If Jesus would have come and delivered them from the Romans and set himself up as an earthly king, they might have known peace for a season. They might have known peace for a time, but Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. Verse 43, he says this, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. Jesus could see it all. He could see history unfolding. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. As Pastor Michael would say, dear Jesus, do you believe that maybe God is also saying that to us, to our generation, to our nation? If we only knew what would bring us peace. We live in a time where there is no peace. There's only noise. There's only distraction. And we carry the distractions around in a little square in our pocket. Everywhere we go, I was listening to a podcast this week and one of the guys in the podcast was saying that, uh, scientists were saying that uh, the world is four times louder now than it was 20 years ago. Four times louder and that our bodies respond to loudness and loud noises as a threat. Biologically, when we hear loud noises, it freaks us out a little bit and we're kind of on edge. So we live in this state of panic and being on edge because of the loud noises in our lives. Do you feel that? Do you feel that same anxiety? Do you feel that same hurried spirit in you? The constant distraction, this week uh, as I was kind of praying, I felt like the Lord woke me up early one morning and, and, um, and I, I went and sat on my couch and, and the Lord just kind of reframed for me some things that, that he wanted me to share today. And, uh, and I was trying to, I just felt him tell me, be still. And so I got quiet for a second and I tried to be still. For some of us, that is a bigger challenge than it is for other people. I don't know what HD is, but I've got 80 of them. And so, like, I was trying to sit down, and I was trying to just be still, and I was trying to just listen. And every five seconds, I'll sit down, and I'll start praying, and I'll start talking to God. The house was quiet. Everybody was asleep was asleep. My dog was even upstairs in her kennel, not bothering anybody. I was just there by myself. The next thing I did after five minutes of prayer, and I did this. Oh, stop. No, stop. Uh, uh, Be still. Listen. Okay. Be still. Listen. And I prayed and I sat there for a moment and I was talking to God and I was just being still. And I would stop talking for a moment just to listen. Uh, and then I would stop what I was doing. I pick out our remote and I was right about to turn on my, t- Oh, stop. No, be still. And I'll put it back down again. And that probably happened 10 or 15 times of me being tempted when, when I was still to pick up a device of some kind. And I kind of realized like, Hey, that's uh, that's unhealthy. I am craving distraction. I am craving interruption. I am craving noise and I can't, Sit still. I don't know peace. So if anything, Jesus is speaking to me in this passage of Scripture. If I only knew right now that peace was available to me, that it was right here with me, then if I could just turn to it and I could just recognize it, I could live a changed and transformed life. But he says in verse 44, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. God is with us. His spirit is with us. And that's part of the finished work of Christ on the cross. When Jesus died and he was resurrected again, there was a a veil in the temple that was torn from top to bottom. And it showed us, that there was no longer separation between us and the spirit of God. There was no separation between us and God because Jesus came and fulfilled the requirement of our sin, dead. He came to save and he came to redeem us, redeem us. no more separation. And so even when, when Christ died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, we were, we were even talking about in Acts how Jesus uh, or, or the Holy Spirit descended and came here to us. We have the presence and the Spirit of God here now. His presence is among us. What if we are so distracted that we have access to all the peace and the healing that we need, but we just can't recognize it? Just like the people of Israel in Jesus's day, let's take a look at Mark chapter eleven, verse twelve. Mark eleven twelve. My friend just mentioned to me on the Instagram story to distract me to see if I would look at my phone, and I did. Thank you for keeping me honest, brother. <laughs> That's good. That's real good. I got you. <laughs> Mark chapter 11, verse 12. <laughs> the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, so uh, remember, he sent them ahead to Bethphage. And as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Verse 14, then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Did Jesus just curse the tree because he was hungry? There's a fig tree there, and it's in leaf. This means that it had sprouted or that it had flowered before its time. It wasn't the season for fruit yet, but this fig tree had already, was already in leaf That kind of happens around here, doesn't it? Remember we talked about the azaleas? We have that cold snap and it shocks all the trees and then it's months again before they're green. This happened to this fig tree. And Jesus approached the fig tree and it had no figs. And he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And he said it in a way that his disciples could hear it. That's something worth highlighting in your Bible. Jesus said that out loud on purpose. It's interesting to me. Let's turn to John chapter 2, verse 13. John chapter 2, verse 13. Now, this is still the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus has come, triumphal entry, spent the night in Bethany, got up. He's walking through, doing his thing, and heading down to the temple. John chapter two. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse 14, in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So this is what Jesus did. He made a whip out of cords and drove all the temple drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, oh they're going to catch it. The dove sellers are the worst. I don't know. I'm just To those who sold doves, he said, "Get these out of here." stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. An Old Testament prophecy yet again that Jesus seemed to be fulfilling right there in front of them. Now here's something that's pretty interesting about that. Um, The place where they were, the outer temple courts, they're not supposed to be selling stuff in there. They weren't supposed to be changing money. They weren't supposed to be any animals, especially in the outer courts of the temple. The outer courts of the temple were were reserved for Gentiles and non-Jews to come and pray. Raise your hand if you are a Gentile. Okay, so that court area would have been for us the non-Jews, in the court of the non-Jews, the Gentiles, people were exchanging money. And there was hurry and there was business taking place. And a lot of that was probably set up by the temple leaders and the temple elders. And Jesus walks in there, filled with zeal for the house of the Lord, makes a whip and starts tossing tables. Let's look at Mark chapter 11, and let's look at this uh, in this account from Mark eleven fifteen. Same story, different perspective. Mark chapter 11, 15. On reaching Jerusalem. I, 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 there's more turning. I'm sorry. I got excited. I'll give you a second. We've got two and a half more hours. Mark 11:15 On reaching Jerusalem Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, again with the doves. That really made him angry, the doves, sent it over the edge for Jesus. Verse 16. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise Ooh, He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, now this is baller right here. As he was flipping over tables and driving them out, he was also teaching them. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Lord Jesus have I as a Christian in my lifetime gone about the business of church and the business of religion without fully acknowledging the presence and the power of Almighty King Jesus have I been guilty in my life of fake and counterfeit worship. If you look at this passage of scripture, these two two stories side by side, the story of the withering fig tree and the story of the temple, I think they're kind of about the same thing. Jesus cursed this fig tree because it had the appearances of fruit. It looked like it was in the right season, and it should have fruit on it. But when he approached it, though it looked good on the outside, it produced no fruit. And he went from there into the temple, and he saw people going about the business of religion and faith, but again saw what? No fruit. No awe, no wonder, no acknowledgement of a powerful God. They were going through their business. They were going through their rituals. Man, do you know that we can be built guilty of doing that today? How many times do I come into a worship service and I stand with all of you ready to worship my king and my creator and i'm more concerned about spilling my coffee than i am about offering a a a heart of praise and thanksgiving to jesus i stand there with my hand in my in my pocket as if the purpose of me being here this morning was to receive ministry during worship instead of bringing ministry and ministering to the presence of the Holy Spirit. As a worshiper, what we're supposed to be doing is bringing our offering to the Lord, bringing our voice, bringing our clapping hands, raising our hands. These are all scriptural, and we can go through several hundred different uh, Hebrew words that translate into these actions. In the Bible. How often do I sit there. Receiving when I should be bringing. Going through the business of church. Counterfeit. Phony. And fake. God change my heart. Tune my heart to sing your praise. To see this moment, this corporate moment of worship as an opportunity to bring something to Jesus. To be willing to sacrifice my face and the way that I might look to all of you and what you might be thinking of me if you happen to see my belly button when I raise my hands in church. If I'm being self-conscious, I cannot be Christ-conscious. If I'm thinking about how you are going to perceive me, I cannot focus on the face of Jesus. There's room in the throne of my heart for one. It could either be me or it can either be him. It cannot be both. I can't serve two masters. So when we worship, we need to worship our God in spirit and in truth, regardless of who's around me. Now, I'm not saying that from now on at Saltbox Church, we're going to run the aisles. Bring some comfortable shoes and make some room because it's going to get crazy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's, worship is love expressed, not just spoken. It's expressed. And we don't want to give something to God and lay something at God's feet that didn't cost us anything. We need to give God what he is deserving of. Amen? Amen? Uh, let's take a look at um, Luke chapter 19, verse 47. Hey, I got a long way to go. I'm just telling you. The band is trying to play me off like this is an award show. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cue the orchestra yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is going to be your ring finger, Luke 19, verse 47. This happened, this happened at the same time, okay? Every day he was teaching at the temple during this time of Passover. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, as you can imagine, having flipped over their business, and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Verse 48, yet they could not find a way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21 for the next part of the story. Matthew 21 and 14. And this is the same time. They're plotting to kill him. Jesus is teaching in the temple. Verse 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them in front of everybody. Jesus healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did, And the children, listen, the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. They were furious. They were seething. They were shades of red. The children were now saying Hosanna in the temple in front of them. Verse 16. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. They asked Jesus. (laughs) Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your your praise? Another translation says that um, from the lips of children, God has ordained their praise. from the lips of children. Man, we see that happening now. Teenagers, college students, middle school kids praising Jesus and calling forth. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Flip to Mark eleven twenty. 20. So he left them. The babies were praising him. Again, the Pharisees tried to call him out. He shut him down, dropped a mic. He left them, went out of the city to Bethany. Mark eleven twenty. 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw what? They saw the fig tree. Withered from where? It didn't wither from the, from the leaves in. It withered from the root up. It withered from the roots. Jesus remembered and said to Jesus, uh, Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has has withered. They're amazed because remember, they heard him say it. And so they see the fig tree is withered and dying. And they're pretty amazed by that. Of all the things that Jesus did, (laughs) like Peter's like, oh, snap, the fig tree. He just healed a bunch of people in front of you in the temple. And you're the most impressed by the fig tree. That probably would have been me. Verse 22. This is interesting. This is when things begin to turn. Listen to this passage of scripture. Verse 22. Have faith in God. Jesus answered he wasn't impressed by the fig tree have faith in god believe without seeing that god that god is there that god is real and he is more powerful than this withered fig tree verse 23 truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. If they believe and they don't doubt. Verse 24 Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That is a hard passage of scripture to believe when you have cancer. That is a hard passage of scripture to believe when you have laid hands on someone and prayed for them to be healed or raised up from the dead and they don't. And it doesn't happen. But what Jesus is telling us here is that we have to have faith and believe in our heart. Believe in our heart, without doubt, whether we can see it on this side of heaven or not. Believe in our heart, without doubt, whatever we ask, it will be done for them. Verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And then, but, verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So we come to God asking for a mountain to be thrown into the sea, yet, We are holding our own brothers, sisters, family members, bosses, neighbors in contempt and unforgiveness. Maybe maybe they deserved it. Maybe they wronged you. Maybe they abused you. Maybe they hurt you and they didn't do anything to earn your forgiveness. But Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture, if we have that unforgiveness in us, And what's going to happen when we pray? What's going to happen when we ask? There's something there. There's something humble. There's a certain humility that it takes and requires for us to repent before God and forgive. There is a posture that forgiveness requires. And it's open-handed. I release you. And in you releasing whoever it is, you release yourself. And you open up the door for God to bring healing into your life. Now, let's look at the last passage of scripture that we're going to share today in this story John chapter 2, verse 23. This is Pinky, Pinky of the Bear Claw. John 2, 23. (laughs) Somebody who just started watching online is going to be, What is Pinky of the Bear Claw? What are they teaching at that church? John 2, 23. Jesus. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing, and they believed in his name. They believed in his name. But Jesus would, not oh man. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He didn't need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. They were coming and asking Jesus, on what authority do you do these miracles? Bring testimony, show us another miracle, go. But Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew the vanity in their own hearts. He didn't need a testimony about us. He knew everything we were capable of. He knew what was in our hearts. He knew that we would try to capitalize on his miracles and trying to take a moment and turn it into a movement and build an altar there where we could worship instead of following after him. He didn't entrust himself to them. I ask myself, have I done that? Have I jumped on the train of some movement? Have I, have, I, do, have I had this agenda in my life as a Christian? Things gotta be this way. Things gotta be done the way that this happened because I experienced God at church camp, so everything has to be church camp. I experienced the presence of God through Him, so everything has to be hymns. I experienced the presence of God in a stadium with laser lights and a hazer. So everything has to be laser lights and hazers. And we have to sing Chris Tomlin. No other Tomlin will do. (laughs) Have I created an altar to that place and refused to go with Jesus where he's going? A couple things I want to highlight to you in this whole text. Those first two disciples that he sent ahead to Bethphage. He told them what to do, and they did it. They went to where he told them to go, and he went, and they went. They saw what God told them that they would see, and they said what God told them to say. And they helped fulfill the prophecy of Jesus and Jesus' coming. They were obedient completely. They acted in his timing, at his direction, without adding their own little part to the story. It doesn't even say their names and who they were. They just, behind the scenes, served and did exactly what God was calling them to do and tell them to do in his timing. And they helped usher in the king into Jerusalem. The owner of the donkey submitted his foal. His foal. He submitted his property, his belongings. Because Jesus needed it. He put it in his hands. And let him have it. The people cried out to Jesus. They exalted him as the king. They begged and they cried out to God to save them and deliver them. So we see obedience. We see humility. And we see people crying out to God. And Jesus refused to turn away their Hosanna. When he rebuked, he, when he, when rebuked, he told the Pharisees that if he shut these people up, that the rocks themselves would cry out. This echoes what we see in Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 28, when he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He heard their cries and he moved forward in time towards his destiny of suffering at Calvary, knowing exactly what it would cost them they were crying out for a savior and he was saying i'm going i'm going he continued to move forward even into suffering we see Jesus' heart was broken when he saw jerusalem that they didn't know peace they didn't realize that he was standing right there in front of them we see jesus cursed the fig tree because it had the appearance of health but no fruit it looked good on the outside, but up close there was no fruit. And after cursing the fig tree, he, it fast forwards and shows us the story of the temple. Jesus came into that space and he attacked the paradigm of prophet and he recentered centered it on prayer for all nations. The business is over. It's time for prayer. The zeal of the house of God consumed him and he tore down the profiteering and the money changing and the business of worship and he replaced them with one new purpose. My house will be a house of prayer. When Jesus noticed, when the disciples noticed the fig tree, Jesus shifted their focus to faith and again to prayer, telling them that whatever they ask for, if they believe, they would receive it. Jesus told them, and he was teaching them to believe in God without doubt and believe that what you've asked for has been received already. And if you can do that, it'll be yours. But he also told them to forgive and be forgiven. It seems to me that the word of God is saying that if we bring ourselves under the authority of our king and we humble ourselves before God and we cry out to him as our savior and as our redeemer and we believe and refuse to doubt and we pray and we seek his face and we forgive our enemies and we turn away from our own sinful gratification and towards the face of King Jesus, then we can welcome the arrival of the transforming and healing power of God by his spirit through his son we can experience arrival amen there's a posture that invites holy spirit to move and initiates the arrival of king jesus there's a posture of our hearts there's a seeking and a finding there's a knocking and the door will be open there's a petition and an answer do we even realize that it's going on? He's here, that his presence is already here. Your hands are tied, uh, literally. So I'm going to uh, share a couple more passages of Scripture with you. In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verse 11, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace uh, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, Verse 12, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. If my people, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever my eyes and my heart will always be there amen don't we desire that as a church don't we desire that as a city that the presence of God will all his heart and his eyes would always be there that posture of humility. If my people called will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and then I will heal their land. James chapter four, verse one echoes this same scripture. James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, your sinful nature? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Verse 4, you adulterous people. Let me put my name in there. You adulterous Daniel. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says, without reason... That he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. The spirit of God longs for the spirit that is in us. Deposited in you when you accepted Christ as your savior. That spirit is in it. He jealously longs for that spirit. But, verse 6, come on. But he gives us more grace. Grace is when you get something you didn't earn. Mercy is when you don't get something that you do earn. Justice is when you get exactly what you deserve. None of us really wants justice. We want grace. He gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Listen to this. Verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. That is really encouraging, James. Thank you. But listen, verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We're going to turn in our Bibles really quickly. This is the one of the last things I want to share with you guys. And this is Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah 57 and Isaiah 58. And then we're just going to have a time of worship. But Isaiah 57, I'll give you a chance. The orchestra is playing. Isaiah 57 15 says, for this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. Listen to what he says. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite. That's another word for repentant and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He lives and He moves where people humble themselves and pray and seek His face and they're willing to forsake all of their sinful gratifications they're ready to forsake every pleasure they're ready to forsake everything for him for his presence one moment more in his presence they hunger and they thirst for righteousness those are the places where god imparts his spirit he lives and revives the humble and the lowly who are those who are repentant Flip over to Isaiah 58. Jesus, oh Jesus. Isaiah 58, one says, shout it loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Verse 2, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my will, as if they were a nation that does what was right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask for just decisions and they seem eager to come near to them. For God to come near them. Verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and you exploit your workers. You're fasting and quarreling and in strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen? Now, this is God speaking. Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter WHEN YOU SEE THE NAKED TO CLOTHE THEM AND NOT TO TURN AWAY FROM YOUR OWN FLESH AND BLOOD. THEN YOUR LIGHT WILL BREAK FORTH LIKE THE DAWN AND YOUR HEALING WILL QUICKLY APPEAR. THEN YOUR RIGHTEOUSNESS WILL GO BEFORE YOU AND THE GLORY OF THE LORD WILL BE YOUR REAR GUARD. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls restorer of streets with dwellings if you keep your feet from breaking the sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day if you call the sabbath a delight and the lord's holy day honorable and if you honor it by not going your own way And not just doing as you please and speaking idle words. Then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise up in triumph on the heights of the land. And to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Can we all stand and just have a moment of worship together?
1: You reign above it all.
0: Over every power, over every high thing, you reign above it all, God. God, tune our hearts to sing your praise. Come and dwell here, Jesus. Come and live here, Jesus. We cry out, hoshiana. We cry out, hosanna. Deliver us. Redeem us. We turn our hearts towards you and we humble ourselves, God. We turn from our sin and we turn and we repent, God. That you could rule and reign and move in our lives and our hearts. That we can see healing and wholeness and forgiveness. That your justice would roll through these streets like a river. Like your righteousness, like a never-ending stream. Right now, I just want to call our prayer team to come forward. If you were to come today and prepared to pray with our church, if you just make your way forward. I'm not so naive as to think that there are not people in this room and people right here on this stage, right here, right now, who have things that we need to repent of and to bring before the Lord. And we're gonna continue in this atmosphere of worship, and if that's you and you just wanna pray with somebody and there's things that you need to lay down at his feet, I just wanna encourage you to come forward to receive prayer, to lay them down at His feet. If it's unforgiveness, something done to you, a pain or an offense or an abuse, and you can't let it go, they don't deserve for you to let it go, but you feel compelled today to receive healing from that hurt and freedom from that wound, I want to encourage you to come forward. Today, if if you're hearing this and you have never said that Jesus is Lord and that you believe that God raised him from the dead and did what the Bible says that he did and laid down his life to pay the penalty for your sins and you've never asked him to rule and reign in your heart. I want to ask you to come forward as well. A member of our team would love to pray with you and help you and teach you how to walk with the Lord. and and pray with you about how to surrender your life to him. So as we continue to pray, I just want to invite anyone, whether you need to repent or whether you need prayer, just to come forward and just lay it down at the foot of Jesus. Let's continue to pray together. no one like you, Jesus. Your present is sweet. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Wherever you go is healing and forgiveness and wholeness. We worship you, God. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it,
1: review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us.
0: We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.